cuddly donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's hump day. Hi, everyone. This is Morning Combat, Wednesday edition, midweek combat sports talk. From yours truly, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm one half of your hosting duo right here in the capital of Estados Unidos in Washington, D.C., joined by my hetero life mate and editorial partner, King of Connecticut. Boy, he's looking a little down in the dumps. I don't know what's going on there. Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. Why are you looking so forlorn, my friend? Uh, just you know, I've just been grinding, Luke. Okay, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily carry carry an aura of sadness, but uh, I am one half of. The <laughs> we best definitely damn... carry an aura of sadness. Don't be <laughs> under any other impression. I'm I'm one half of a a multi award winning best damn combat sports show. Period, Luke. So I got a lot to be excited for, and also are those new frames you're rocking out in the free world. Yeah, now? I I noticed that the glasses I'd been using weren't getting the trick done like they used to. Went back to the eye doctor. Sure enough, my vision is continuing to fade. So these are a new pair. All right. Yeah. A, a stronger Coke bottle variety of lens. I, I appreciate that at this age, Luke. I tried to get a fully clear one because my face is already gray and dark. Yeah. Uh, and they have black on the sides, but it's clear in the front. So I figure it's got most of what I'm looking okay. for. You, you well, like them or just, not? Well, how would you rate them? I do like them. I do like them. And, and just like, you know, uh, the late Michael Jackson when talking about his baby, it doesn't matter if your rims are black or white, Luke, and they happen to be both. So that's very progressive for you in this day and age. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, happy to see you. We have actually a fair amount to get to. No singular major story that we're fully aware of, although we have some breaking news I'd like to get to at the top here. But we're going to talk, let's see, about some of the Hamzat drama, Aspen Ladd to PFL. We've got some drama over in England related to a boxing fight and... um Anti-doping getting in the way here a little bit, I suppose, depending on one's perspective. We'll among other that. things, among other things that were threatening to derail that fight to begin with, Luke. Right, fair enough. Uh, a bit of a rough run for Match Room in 2022 as it continues, anyway. So we'll get to all of that. Oh, stuff. you're gonna get you're gonna get some blokes after you for that one. They are sick of your of your constant Eddie Hearn talk. Uh, talk down, all right. I, I, I routinely say Eddie Hearn is a great promoter and I like his shows. I just wasn't sure about his American footprint. And I think it's pretty fair to say there's a difference between the British footprint of Match Room and the American one. If that's what people are really getting upset about, they can go pound sand. Seriously. Okay. 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 Just a, a conduit of the people, a represent a middleman. I know, but I, I, I like this. I'm not even doing a bit. Like, I genuinely like Eddie Hearn as a promoter. I think he does, by and large, a very commendable job. But, like, there's been some hiccups. We have to acknowledge that. I don't know what's so crazy about that. Anyway, we'll get to that yeah, a little bit later as well. Plus, one is uh, hemorrhaging money. So we'll talk about them, too. So thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Please hit subscribe. By the way, if you liked the Corey Anderson RSD, and it seems like most people did, BC, I got to say, this is sort of proof of concept. Every RSD is a little bit different. Some are off the rails. Some aren't. But sometimes you get to know a person that maybe you thought you knew or you knew them a certain way, and then you get to see them in a different light. It seems like a lot of people got a a brand new look at Corey Anderson through this, which I'm very happy to hear. Look, sometimes we just get out of the way and let somebody talk, and that's a, a lot of a lot of time. What happened here with Corey? He he had a, he had a platform here. He used it to uh, talk about his inspiring backstory, to you know explain why Bellator has been such a strong financial move for him, and also tell a little bit uh, you know inside details on how things ended with the UFC. A very revealing talk. I think you're going to grow to respect him more. But if you go to YouTube.com/slash Morning Combat right now, you not only get Corey Anderson room service diaries. 
You get Luke and I interviewing Deontay Wilder, who's making a yep. big comeback in a little bit over a week. Uh, Sebastian Fundora, who headlines the Showtime Triple Header on Saturday. So no shortage of extra content. Luke, do we have an extra credit? Um, I We should. We should. We don't have one up yet, but we should. So okay. we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, we so, always give you something extra, okay? That's the that's the yes, deal here. Plenty, plenty extra. Uh, as a reminder, as well, we have a new promo. Showtime is the label that pays. Now, usually, and this is still true, you can try Showtime.com. You can go to Showtime.com, get a thirty day free trial if you like it. You can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. But here's the deal: you can get thirty days free, and now three ninety nine a month for the subsequent three months. That's a pretty good deal. That's all of Showtime Championship Boxing, all of Bellator, plus everything else that Showtime has, whether it's on the app or, you know, in terms of like a live show or or a uh, chronicled, archived show, all the good stuff is up there. You can get that on Showtime.com. So very, very good deal. Uh, we have merch. You can get merch like this, morningcombat.store. You can get BC's hat. I think you can get BC's mug, right? Do you, do you, oh, yeah. the... you can get you can get just about anything I'm wearing. You can go to Nice Price Books and and Records in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you can get this T-shirt too. But uh, we are available now. Morningcombat.store. Luke, I don't know if we got a code anymore. Do we? No, right? Not for this show today. No. Right. Uh, by the way, as a reminder, speaking of the F Sebastian Fundora interview that BC has, BC and I are going to be back in the bomb shelter on Saturday. We'll be calling the prelims live. I believe that will start on YouTube at about 7:30 p.m. in the East. So. Also, I'm recording uh, a dissected that day, so that should be a lot of fun as well. So, yeah, we're, the, the thing about you and I is maybe not with each other, but the phone call to Tui sounds just the same. Let's bang. We are putting content out. People say, "Hey, you guys win all these awards because you beg for it." No, because we earn it, bitch. Okay, we also do by beg. grinding, yes. by a hundred percent factory town, American made, blood, sweat, tears. And more fluids to come, depending on your wallet size. Okay, there you go. Maybe one day, Luke, we'll take it to only MK only pipes is really the future. That's really where I'm headed. Only pipes. That's got a definitely a bright future for uh, everyone involved. All right. And then last but not least, I want to remind everyone, our next partner, of course, you know it, you love it, we drink it. It's AG1, yeah. Athletic Greens BC. I don't know if you have it in front of you here. I had mine earlier this morning. Now I'm having more caffeine. AG1 doesn't have caffeine. But I got to tell you, it's got about just a, everything else you could need. Yeah, I mean, it's chock full of vitamins. And for those of us that hate taking pills and hate doing things overtly healthy, even though we know we should, how about we, we give you a little bit of a, uh, a cut through here, an easy way to get around it. One scoop a day in a glass, fill it up with eight ounces of water, stir that shit up. And what do you get? Well, first of all, you get a super healthy drink. That doesn't taste that way. It's got a mild tropical taste. But when you look at the high-quality vitamins, the minerals, the whole uh, food-sourced superfoods, the probiotics, adaptogens, adaptations, I mean, really, if you if it's good for you, it's in this cup. All you have to do is drink one per day. You're going to feel a whole hell of a lot better. Look at me. Don't I mean, don't just buy it. Look at my face. You want to be this healthy? Drink this mother effer right here. Uh, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. And you know what I like pressed about it, Luke, the price. How about for less than $3 a day, you can charter a new course in your life, turn a, turn the cheek, so to speak, okay, and get on the road to health. And where, when we talk about, did you talk about the lifestyle friendly part of it, Luke? Because I love talking about that. Uh, yeah, of course, you can take it with you on the road with a travel pack or however you want to take it, but it's easy to do. Also, 
It's a small, uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. Yeah, and right now, it, it couldn't be a better time to arm your yourself and your immune system with this convenient daily nutrition that, that tastes great. I mean, it's, it's flu and cold season coming up. Why don't you get on the winning team here and start fighting back? One scoop a day, as we mentioned, no need for a million pills, and to make it even easier... On you, the consumer, here's what you're going to do. Go to athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat. Of course, that's with a K. And with your first purchase, five free travel packs. I use them on the road. It keeps me healthy. And a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. Uh, get, get down on the D. It's time, Luke. It certainly is time. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. With that in mind, I'd like to get the show started. But before we hit topic number one, we really should hit this breaking news, BC, and I want to pitch it to you as the resident, uh, certainly more expert boxing guy than me. This is what we mentioned with Matchroom having a bit of an issue. There was supposed to be a fight this weekend on DAZN set up by Matchroom between Chris Eubank Jr. and Connor Ben, And it has been put, well, sort of on hold. Basically, Ben tested positive for a, a fertility drug from his A sample. We don't have the B sample, but that's usually always the same. And more to the point, it was from, I believe, I think it was VADA or certainly a, a some form of voluntary anti-doping. It didn't actually come from like UCAD, for example, through a British regulatory agency. So both sides were informed of the positive result and both sides said, you know what, we're still going to go forward with the fight. Who gives a shit? And then the British Boxing, excuse me, the British Board of Control, which is their relevant boxing commission, said no way. But I have heard through the grapevine, a couple of folks reached out to me this morning saying, Hearn's going to try and push it through. There are a couple of legal avenues where that could happen. BC, your reaction to this news? In some ways, I'm not surprised, only because this has been a weird fight. So let's, let's, let's frame this. This is the sons of two, you know, UK boxing legends there uh, of, of when you consider Nigel Ben fought. Eubank Sr. two times, and in Europe, in the U.K., Luke, this is a big deal. In the U.S., did it translate the same way? Not exactly, but we were looking forward to this fight because it's sort of this weird grudge match based on the fathers. It's a hard fight to make in weight because Ben's basically a welterweight. We've seen Eubank bounce between middle and super middle. Well, they're meeting in the middle. It almost looked like it was going to fall apart a couple times. You'd have Chris Eubank Sr. going public a lot and saying, like, you know, I don't really think this fight should be happening. And, and also, I don't really think my son should be continuing to take punches like this for what, you know, the long-term, uh, you know, health risk it is in taking punches to the head, which has been an interesting time to push this rather real narrative out there to the front. Seeing it potentially fall apart with these drug issues is not surprising, but it does, as you mentioned, look like something that could get worked around and we could still get a fight. It's a weird fight. It's a kind of a dream in the middle fight in terms of weight. If you're up on that rivalry between the dads, it could mean a great deal to you. But as you've noticed, Luke, not a ton of buzz in the U.S. for this. This does seem to be like a very U.K.-centric operation. Which is fine. You know, it doesn't. not everything has to be for every market. I, don't, I know you don't say that pejoratively. I just want to be clear for the audience's sake. Yeah, I had someone hit me up. Let me see here. Um, a, you know... Hearn did an interview, I think, on BT Sport or Sky. I can't remember which media outlet. Basically being like, yeah, it's in the hands of the lawyers now. Rather than just being like, well, the commission said, no, we're going to stop. He's going to try and push it through. And my understanding is there could potentially be uh, a way to get the courts, if the there's no agreement, the courts to force the fight to happen because Ben has not technically been uh, 
he has not actually committed a rule violation because he hasn't been like sort of convicted of anything. There is this information, but it's still you know, innocent until proven guilty in sort of the same kind of way. So we'll see what happens there. I don't know if the fight's going to happen or not. If it does, did you have a favorite? Were you leaning a certain way? Yeah, I mean, look, Eubank is... is bigger. Much bigger, much bigger punching power. You know, Ben is probably more skilled. He's certainly going to have a speed advantage, but the fight is being made because of the background and the trash talk between them more than it being a need to be made. Uh, I still like Eubank in here, even though the second half of his career has been very up and down and puzzling at times, but it was Clomiphene, the drug in question, and as you mentioned, Luke a fertility drug that can increase the production of testosterone if taken on a daily basis by men. And, you know, I'm always looking to increase... It can also increase... be post-cycle therapy as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually grabbing the Brazilian nuts that you often see on the RSD table set to uh, increase my T-level. But uh, this is... Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. I guess they're going to fight. Who knows? I don't know, Luke. Yeah, we'll I just... My, my only take from this is, you know, the whole thing is just theater. I mean... No one yeah. really cares if he's using. Yeah. No one really. The fans don't care. The fighters don't care. The promoter doesn't care. The commission, you know, doesn't want to look like they're completely rubber stamping everything. Well, I mean, it's but, easy for you to say that, Luke, but I think the descendants of Roger Maris said it right when talking about Aaron Judge. You know, he's he's the clean home run champion because you know Roger Maris. No chance did he ever walk into a clubhouse in 1961 when they had those jugs of uh, greenies, Luke, you know, straight amphetamines that, you know, they'd have the coffee pot, the leaded, the unleaded, they'd be hung over, you know, there'd probably be a couple hot dogs and whores in the clubhouse. I mean, you know, none of that, Luke, was dirty, okay? Uh, yeah, you know who but, was dirty? Yeah, it's, you know what's amazing? I found out that the only people who use PEDs in baseball are everyone but the Yankees. Isn't that amazing? I, I don't know how it ended up working out that way, but it sure did. Boy, pretty, Eric Jeter never touched, never touched the stuff, Luke. Never. Amazing. Okay? Uh, let's talk about topic number one here. Not really sure what to make of it. There was some news yesterday from Combache, which is in general a very reliable media outlet. I have gone to their coverage when they've broken news consistently. In fact, this is the only time I can remember where they reported something and then it was challenged thereafter, but it's not really clear if that challenge is factual either. Here's the story. Kombache reported that Hamzat Shemaev had his Russian passport seized, that he had he is obviously from native Chechnya, is now a resident of Sweden, and flew to Russia to visit family, potentially some other stuff as well, business, whatever, and then had his Russian passport seized by Russian authorities in St. Petersburg. And that the report was it was related to the effort of mobilization that the country has undertaken in Russia to combat Ukraine's um, advances on the on the battlefield. Now, subsequent to that, Brett Okamoto of ESPN said he spoke to Hamzat Shemaev's manager, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce his name, Majdi Shamas, who told Okamoto that Hamzat being stuck in Russia with a revoked passport is not true, that he is in Russia. And in fact, we did see him on an ACA card yesterday but there are, quote, no problems with any travel restrictions, according to him. BC, are you buying or selling that Hamzat is stuck in Russia? I'm going to buy it, Luke. You know, do I have that deep information to prove it? No. I don't think any of us do, as we're being very speculative based on the reports we've seen. But, Luke, what do we know to be a fact that Hamzat is a favored son of certain Russian political powers, particularly within political Chechnya? Powers. Let's call them what they are, murderous dictators. That's what they uh, are. Ramzan Kadyrov is who we're talking about at the moment, Luke. Um, when this when the news originally broke, I thought it was more of a Tyson Fury can't come to the States because of Daniel Kinahan thing, but it seemed the narrative was more, 
is he getting drafted into the war here? Well, here's the deal, Luke. We know of their relationship. We also know of that very weird reality that took place during the pandemic when Hamzat had back-to-back COVID-positive tests and very rough battles, according to reports, and openly considered retirement only for uh, Kadyrov to go public and be like, nah, brah, that ain't happening. You'll be just fine, and, you know, you'll go out there and represent our flag and fight. So, Luke, if I'm going to believe the things associated with 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 that fact that we've seen in the past, that it feels like it's a fighter who is, in some regard, controlled by a higher power entity or or financially backed, or at the very least, there's a lot of pressure on Chimaev to live up to whatever expectations or standards are being put on him politically within that relationship. Could I also believe that that could also play into hit them going, nah, we need you on the front lines of this war to do exactly what we're trying to do here. Uh, yeah, I could believe that without having the facts to prove it, Luke. So I can hear everyone say, no, it's fine. He was just here. Yeah, he's still there, by the way. Okay. So until I see him fly out and we right. talk about his next fight, I'm going to hold back feelings here of, of you know, I, I kind of believe this to be true here. Let's see what the next step is. Well, interestingly, what Kambache also reported was that Chamaya was scheduled to be in Brazil, I think, next week or roughly in that time frame to see a documentary about a famous jiu-jitsu player named Terere. Like, well, obviously, the fact that he may or may not show up to... Well, if he shows up, obviously, it's not true. But the fact that if he doesn't show up, that doesn't automatically prove it either. But I guess we will see. Here's the thing. I in no way want to impugn the character of his manager. I don't know his manager. I have no idea if he's telling the truth or not. He very well could be. My only caution is a general statement to the audience, which is this manager notwithstanding, because again, I don't have any information to challenge this in any way, but I just want to point out, I have lived through this world quite a long time. MMA managers in general will absolutely lie to the media for any kind of reason that they feel necessary. That's crazy, Luke, because MMA promoters do the same thing like all the time, right? That's wild. all All I'm saying is he could very well be telling the truth, but until we get more information, I would not necessarily assume that just because any fighter's manager says it's not true, that therefore it's not true. To me, that would be interesting, and I think enough of a declaration that we have to at least heed it to a to a degree, but we don't have to defer to it as biblically true. I guess we have to wait until we have further confirmation one way or the other. The only thing I would say is if they do keep him, I mean, here's the thing. There have been reports of smaller-named Russian fighters who have been pulled into this conflict, some of which have answered the call, some of which have fled the country, no one really at that UFC level, right? No one at that Makachev level, no one at that, you know, pick your fighter from that area who uh, is in that same military age demographic. None of them have been called up, and I certainly hope that they don't have to. Yeah, I, I follow Liana conf- Jojua, Luke, on Instagram. She has not been called yet. Right, fair enough. My only concern would be that if this thing drags on, what effect it could have. Obviously, the most important significance is a a war, but I mean, to the extent that it affects elite level fighters whose careers could be interrupted by this conflict, I certainly hope that's not the case. But one wonders if it might spill over into this world in a real and serious way, even beyond this current controversy such that it exists. Yeah, Luke, what, let's talk Chimaev on more of a macro level here. I don't know what's going to happen based on this report, based on whether he's headed next to face, to fighting Paulo Costa middleweight, you know, rather than coming back and proving that he can make welterweight and, and get back into that title picture. But it does feel like that Friday, the day before he was was scheduled to fight Nate Diaz, 
he was on top of the world being given the ultimate showcase opportunity against the fading legend on the way out that would have groomed him for crossover superstardom and an immediate title shot against the winner of Edwards and Usman if they do that trilogy. And now, after missing weight by so many pounds and having that sort of the weird way it played out with his demeanor on the microphone being so dismissive, now this report, you do have to wonder if we're in the midst of, of a a sort of monumental turn of events in the direction his career appeared to be heading. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe he gets back there and, you know, within six months proves to us he can make 170 and gets a title shot. Or maybe not, Luke. Maybe this is the, the, the turning point on somebody that looked like the kind of can't miss. I mean, I know we're talking about Bo Nickel of high regard now, of course, and Pico had a huge rise. Even John Jones, to a certain degree, was labeled so early as, God, you're looking at a future champion, uh, you know, in, in bloom here. Are you worried that, like, he may never return to that, where he was just, you know, an hour before stepping on that scale to face Nate? I will tell you, it's a great question, and I will tell you, the the, the direct answer to your question is... I don't know, but I will tell you, aligned with that, a thought I did have, which is that sometimes, you know, I've been around covering MMA for quite some time, and some guys have, you know, most guys don't have very long careers. Most are in and out pretty quickly. But sometimes guys have a surprisingly long career, like someone like Clay Guida still being around is pretty impressive, you know, that he can be this senior into his career, still, you know, somewhat relevant and doing pretty interesting things, and and that's very commendable. But some guys are just, you know, it's like 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 Brock Lesnar. He was, yeah, he had the UFC 200 thing, but really he had that short burst of whatever. Here is my hunch, and I don't know which way it's going to go. I just don't feel like Hamzat's career is built for the long haul. Like, one way or the other, the craziness and unusual circumstances surrounding him make me feel like I don't think it's coming to an impending crash or something. That's not what I'm saying. But if you had to ask me, am I going to be covering, if I'm covering fights at all in 15 years, let's assume whoever is sort of standard MMA media in 15 years, or even 10, in 10 years, are we really going to be covering Hamzat Chemaev's fights? I have a, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of that, to be candid with you. Is that, is that a fair suspicion on my part, BC? I don't know what to expect here, Luke. This is a weird situation, all, all things considered. Everything that's happened to Hamzat of late. I mean, even if you go back to, look, I'm not, I'm not going to hide it here. What happened during the pandemic with him, like, almost retiring and then, right. you ain't retiring. That's weird as shit, Luke. It's that's that's unresolved shit. in my eyes in terms of how that affects him as a fighter. I think all that did play into what happened with this weight situation. I don't really tend to believe that there was some backroom like, hey, let's not fuck over Nate this bad. Hey, Hamza, you're just going to go, you know, fake a weight miss. No, they didn't do that. But something, something weird has been going on, Luke. Is it the pressures of living up to this as being, you know, to tab the next big thing and potentially having the weight of Chechnya behind him and all that that comes with being a, a, a favored son in that area with that type of leader? I don't know, Luke, but it is a story to watch very closely in terms of how long this could keep him out, what direction he's going personally and, and inside the cage. It's, um, it's, it's bizarre, but Luke, you know, that's combat sports. I mean, are you ever surprised by this absolute daily barrage of bullshit that we weed through trying to find the corn within the uh, the fecal matter. This is combat sports, Luke. At the end of the day, you get used to the smell, right? I think that's true, and I just think if you're going to work in this industry or even just be around it as a fan for a long period of time, 
you really come away with the conclusion that you just can't ever expect sustained normalcy. It doesn't work for whatever reason. You've got crazy people doing a crazy sport. (laughs) I mean, I I can't, I don't even want to let another week go by without reiterating Dana White just shut down media and fans to the damn right. live sporting event to allow a rich friend to have a, you know, he look, he, there's a chance he caught whatever Latifi was was selling, Luke. What was that, staff? I mean, there's a chance. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see Zuckerberg's chest to see if it looks like Kevin Lee's against Tony Ferguson. But short of me getting those picks, Luke, we're already in, in Weirdoville. I mean, this is fucking bizarre as shit, right? Like, there's no explanation. There's no press release from the UFC. It's just, nah, he was our buddy, so we decided to give him a fun night out without you pesky scumbag media around. I mean, what a bizarre set of circumstances in general. Luke, get used to it. Swim through the fecal. It's what we do in this all right, part, all right? right. En- enough with that. I, I certainly agree with that. And it's also interesting that, like, the larger media didn't pick up on it. Well, I got to tell you, there's a lot of talking heads at ESPN that are very concerned about making sure there is, you know, their progressive values seen in sport. They don't have a thing to say about UFC. Nothing ever. So are you saying that like Stephen A. Smith and no, people on that like, level? I'm not even be- saying like I'm not even making a declaration. I mean, these people cover what they cover. Yeah. I'm just saying if they were at all interested in consistency across the ESPN ecosystem, they seem very selective about their targets, right? Like a Sarah Spain, for example, very selective about the targets. And maybe she's like, I don't know anything about combat sports. I don't want to cover it. Yeah, okay, fine. I mean, that's that's a very defensible position. But the things that they do not tolerate in the sports that they cover, they just seem utterly willing to ignore far worse versions of it yeah. in a related sport that also airs on their channel. Anyway, we got to move I along. Mean, you know, I, I'd love to, to show them Dana's ran against Loretta Hunt and see their take, Luke, but that was a long time ago, right? Long time ago. Uh, and he doesn't talk that way anymore from what I can tell, but yeah, okay, fair enough. All right, topic number two, good news. Very good news, very good news. Devison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno 4, it is booked. This is scheduled to be at Ooh. UFC 283 in the UFC's return to Brazil, which, of course, will happen on the 21st of January, 2023. Now, just as a reminder, first fight was a draw. Second fight, Moreno won via rear naked choke. Third fight, Figueredo won via decision. Somewhat disputed, but not really. I think that was a pretty fair one. A bit of a stat here, BC. No fighters have fought four times exclusively under the UFC banner. Now, of course, Arlovsky and Tim Sylvia had three fights, the last one of which took place in one championship. Vanderlei and Rampage had four fights, but two were in Pride. One was in UFC, one was in Bellator. So they had the four meetings, but never consistently under the banner. Your reaction to the UFC pulling the trigger on the fourth fight between these two very elite flyweight talents? I've come back around. Why? Because the the, the proof is in the put in there, Floyd. Uh, when they fight, you know, amazing things happen. They are made for each other in so many ways. And this rivalry has had such exciting chapters that... It just seems right right now uh, in this regard. There were, there were points of customer fatigue, which can happen. I mean, Pacquiao Morales is the best boxing equivalent to this type of high-level four-fight, you know, I mean, this kind of stuff that we didn't see in boxing since the 1950s and 60s when guys would fight each other six, seven times. Uh, that had customer fatigue in it, yet found a way to keep entertaining us. Yeah, let's do it, Luke, because this era of the post Demetrius Johnson, and we'll always throw Henry Cejudo in there, who may or may not have saved this division from being eliminated. Uh, we, th- I thought, you know, 
Figueredo would be our hero. I thought he would be our new lethal face. Then it looked, no, Mexico's Brandon Moreno is. But they flip-flop enough and shown how perfect they are for each other that this era is about them, and they will go in the history books after these four or, I don't know, five, six? How, how long are we going in this series? They're going to be linked with each other forever, and if you've watched any of the first three, maybe, maybe save for how one-sided the second fight was, although you got to give Moreno credit in that regard. Um, yeah, Luke, I'm here for it, and the other news linked with this is that Alexandre Pantoja will be the, uh, the, the replacement who will weigh in and be ready uh, you know, as, as the potential alternate for this fight. I mean, the, 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 the way that you would argue against this is if there's somebody else super deserving and if we are at a point in the rivalry where we don't have closure and you kind of need to see it again. I got to be honest, Figueredo winning that fight, you know, coming back the way he did and it being a close decision, there's there's no closure here. I mean, who else? Look, I'd love to put Askar Askarov in here, but he didn't win, Luke, okay? So that this is where we're at. Pantoja would be the guy if you were looking for a fresh contender in that way. I do think that's pretty fair. I mean, but here's the thing, dude. Moreno just didn't beat Kaikar France. He stopped him and, 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 and had to rally a little bit, if you recall. Like, Kaikar France was doing really well in that fight, especially relative to the first time they fought. I thought he had a great strategy, was largely executing, and Moreno found a way to just fold him with that body kick. It was a you great know, that win. Was per- huh? Great win. Very, great. yes. Super solid win. But BC, here's what kind of occurs to me about this fight, and you would appreciate this more coming from the boxing side of things. Now, boxing's more established, and this isn't quite true, but here's what I mean. Obviously, when four guys, or excuse me, when two guys fight four times, it's going to mostly revolve around what it means for their legacy, how that rivalry raises their careers. But I also feel like this will go down as a very important part in the history of flyweight. Most notably, though, what is also an important part about the history of flyweight was previously that the UFC decimated it and then saved it kind of at the last minute with the with what they ultimately chose to do, but they let a lot of the talent just bleed out and go away. Why do I bring this up? Well, what I mean to say is it's not only a great fight. There is the unresolved sort of status between who is better between them. There's a lot involved there. I also think one way to really help, again, this fight by itself or the four by themselves even that doesn't do it, but as a building block in the process of helping to really solidify flyweight, to rebuild flyweight, to make you to make some history around the flyweight division, what's one big component of the UFC's flyweight history? Of course, it's Demetrius Johnson, no doubt about it. Here's another big piece. It's things like this that actually help flyweight solidify itself. And of course, there's more involved about going into places like China and Latin America where you can recruit fighters more naturally sized for these kinds of weight classes, those things, those sorts of things. Yes, there are much bigger stories to pl- in play here. But I just mean to say, BC, and if you disagree, by all means, tell me, I really believe this kind of thing helps. And yes, the UFC you know, bled out flyweight a while ago, but it takes a while to build a division. It takes some time. You have to build stories. You have to build drama. You have to build history. You can do that really well when you have two guys paired this uh, closely and importantly at the top. It's a firm yeah. belief that I have. And and you nailed it about the point on Moreno beating Kaikar France. KK France was rising. He seemed to be the next guy. They gave him a chance to become the next guy. Even what that was an interim title, if I'm correct, right, Luke? In that fight, that's right. Mm-hmm. So they gave him the chance. He didn't get it done. Moreno's time. Let's do it. Um, man, I do. I've really. I, it's like it's it's never going to be shade against DJ. He did nothing but be dominant and arguably act like the greatest fighter who's ever stepped in the cage. I mean, his some of his, you know, records are, are going to be still going to be hard to topple for a while. Uh, but 
post-DJ flyweight has been fantastic, Luke. You know it has. It's been great. Yeah, I kind of am sad that uh, Cejudo moved on to bantamweight and then to retirement as quickly as he did. I wonder what he could have done if he stuck around. But I just mean is like, you know, what's the best thing to happen to flyweight post-Demetrius Johnson and, you know, which, which coincided with the bloodletting? I'd argue it's this rivalry. I think this is the best thing that flyweight has had going since that time. Now, of course, there are other fighters who are doing well. We mentioned that the standby is Pantoja. Great. He's doing really well. Kaikar France fell short in his last fight, but I still think he's a really tough, very you know, elite-level flyweight. There's a lot of good things happening at flyweight. But the very best thing that's happened are these two guys making their fights must-see TV around this weight class and then showcasing what this weight class is capable of. Big power, submissions, great cardio, great durability, great rivalry. This is a great advertisement for what elite flyweight fighting can be to say nothing of what it means for each guy's respective career. I think that's important to just observe for on a show like this. Agreed. Agreed, Luke. I love right. celebrating men. That's what we do on this show. It's a <laughs> bunch of men talking about men to listeners that are largely men. It's just a, it's just Hallelujah. a man's, it's a man's it, circle jerk. Weird. Yeah, it is. You know, it's raining, weirdly. in fact. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, BC, I don't know how interested you are in this. I will tell you, I'm interested, you know. Can't say that it's like... Well, let me just get to the story. Yeah, so just Alistair, get to the point, Luke. Okay, yeah, yeah. just get Alistair to the point. Alistair is back. Now, he's not back in MMA, although that's not done yet. I got a quote I want to read you. But Glory is back in action this weekend, and it's going to be Alistair Overeem taking on Batter Hari 3. Now, if you're a hardcore fan, you guys already know this. They fought twice. Batter Hari is something of a bad boy of kickboxing. Um, he's this, you know, well, a hulking figure. Uh, he's Dutch, but I think Moroccan natively. And, you know, he is just a crazy person, balls-out fighter. He's got some tremendous wins. He's got some brutal knockout losses. He's kind of an interesting and sort of polarizing, controversial figure in the sport. And he's got history with Overeem. So they first met at K1 Dynamite in December of 2008, where uh, Overeem flatlined him. Hardy returned the favor at the K1 World Grand Prix in December of 2009. And I think there have been previous attempts to make this fight happen, and they couldn't do it. Now, Overeem spoke about it. Quote, I do love grappling, I do love MMA, but I think it's just more of a complete art, striking and grappling and strength and conditioning. I like the less limitations. To answer the question, my goals are batter, I'm going to smash him, then I'm going to smash Rico. He's talking about Rico Verhoeven, the existing champion, arguably pound for pound best in the sport. And then, you know, maybe one more in MMA. But for now, the goal is batter, then Rico, then get the belt. Maybe one more final MMA fight because the MMA thing didn't finish satisfactory for me. So we also want to finish that. I believe I'll have it in me. And then lastly, um, it will not be much more than that. I, it will not be more than those potential two or three fights. So it's two or three that he wants to get into coaching. BC, level of interest in this rivalry. The first two fights certainly did, delivered on excitement. And and where do you think, what, level of interest in this fight, what, what are you expecting here, I suppose? Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting fireworks, and I am interested in this fight. This is that rare big name fight that glory can do that can pull in even me who doesn't have the same history as you do as you have watching you know the the big fights i do remember the first two particularly that first one it was a very big deal i remember me as a at, at that point as an mma fan being you know being particularly impressed exactly what Overeem did walking into there and knocking him out. And then you see the the way it went the other way in the rematch. It does seem like time. Let's let Overeem have his victory lap of whatever 
non-MMA specific sort of opportunities and given the history that there there does need to kind of be closure in this rivalry if both are willing and both still have a little bit left in the tank and they do so uh yeah Luke I'll be fired up for this I mean how I guess I got to ask you because you you used to be a sideline reporter for glory you, you've covered this a lot more than I have is this like is this more <laughs> Hate to say it. Is it more Chuck and Tito under the Golden Boy MMA banner at this point? Or is it still pretty damn legitimate to find out who won this rivalry in terms of what this means? I've not kept up with Better Hari's career. And again, I was a sideline reporter for Glory, but I sucked at that job. I was actually relieved when they didn't rehire me because I felt like I didn't deserve to be rehired. Um, so Wow, that's, say blat- that- that's blatantly honest, Luke. That's like... I've tried, I mean, you know, when you get opportunities, you should try them in this business. I do believe that. But after the, the, the opportunities are over, you should have some reflection about how they went. That one went poorly for me. I, you know, I was not okay. good at that job and I can fully admit that it's not, I'm not the right guy for it. Uh, but in, in relation to this, here's the funny part about it, BC, two things I would want to bring up about this. In the case of Overeem, he had to kind of readjust his MMA striking style to gain that longevity that he had in the last period. That style, I don't know how well that's going to work for him in kickboxing, especially against a bruising marauder like Batter Hari. So that remains to be, that's a really interesting piece of this puzzle that I don't know how it's going to go. I would also say, you know, they don't do a lot of, or any real drug testing that I'm aware of. So keep that in mind for both competitors and really all the competitors well, on this card. I, doesn't that play I, into I, your last point though? You made a point about him having to change his style. I think he just Still. had to change his intake for USADA. Really? That's really well, right. So here's the here's the part about that, though. Like, once your chin is compromised, here he was fighting to me to take less damage. And there was other components to it. But a big part was, I just can't take the kind of damage I used to take, which was a smart yeah. play, and it worked out in large part. The way in which he has fought traditionally in kickboxing, just, I don't, that's going to be hard. That's going to that's gonna be difficult to make that work. So, we will see how much punch resistance either of them still have. And by the way, both of them have vicious power still. So that one, I, I, there's just, I cannot imagine that one going the distance. It just doesn't seem that way. How the part big that is interesting this, to Yeah, well, you didn't answer my question about how big it is and how big is it in Europe where it's going to be held? Is it massive? I think it's pretty big. I mean, I think Glory is not quite in the state that it once was, but I do think this is one of the bigger fights they can make in all of kickboxing, certainly in the heavyweight division. Now, of course, you could make you know, uh, bigger ones in terms of ranked fighters, right? You could get Rico Verhoeven versus the number one guy or something like that, a, a Benjamin Adegbui or something, uh, Jamal Ben Sadiq. But the point I want to make here is you got two really big names here. Really, really, this 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 to me feels very, very big in that way. So uh, there's value there. The thing that's interesting to me, BC, is the guys who leave the UFC. It's hard to finish away out the you know out the door in the UFC to get like a goodbye and. Thanks for being here, and you were really important. Overeem's not on the Mount Rushmore the way to Anderson Silva is, but I do wonder if he can get a big win here on Saturday and then set himself up for some subsequently big fights. He might be able to have the his own exit from combat sports by doing some stuff outside of MMA that enable him to facilitate it, like with Nate potentially going to boxing, if he can get that, or with what Silva is doing. It's interesting that these guys can author potentially more celebrated exits True. by doing these kinds of things. It, absolutely. Luke, you know what's never talked about is that when Overeem finally did come to the UFC, his per fight 
income salary wise was through the roof. Who negotiated Huge. that deal? Like even if he wasn't prominent at that moment and was more just an add on to the card, he was still making 500 K guaranteed. And more than that, I, I saw several cards where his, his like purse guaranteed purse was 800 K. And by the way, I don't even think he had a split in his purse, at least not for every fight in the UFC. I think he had it. No, no bonus. Flat, yeah, yeah, no flat bonus. fee. Just that's what it is. And whoever, yeah, whoever negotiated that for Overeem did a very good job, relatively speaking. So you're right. He made big checks. I, I really, I don't, you know, I don't have anything against Batterhari, but I do like Overeem. I will say I'm glad he is eyeing the exit. Alistair Overeem has done incredible things in combat sports. Remember, he was simultaneously the K1 champ, the Dream champ, and the Strike Force champ all at the same time. Very difficult to do something like that. At the same time, uh, he's taken a lot of damage. He's taken a shitload of damage. Yeah. I really, really hope um, that the next chapter in his life, whenever that officially gets started, he's able to have you know the cognitive functioning that um, one would need. I, I am a little bit concerned, to be, to be quite candid. One would need that. And speaking of one, Luke. Yes, speaking of one, I'm not going to get too much into the details here for topic number four, but let's start with the sort of bad part first, and then I want to talk about the rule set. Here's the bad part first. Bloody Elbow through Anton Tabuena and John Nash. Every year, basically with the Singaporean equivalent of the SEC, they have to file a business report about revenues and losses and everything else. By the way, it should be noted, BC, I don't know if you know this, it was detailed at the end of the article, if you didn't make it all the way through, that one has transferred their base of operations to the Cayman Islands. So this might be the last report we ever see of this, because at that point, they won't have the same financial disclosure laws that they have in Singapore that enable this kind of reporting. It's a way to kind of make everything secret. Remember, that and the commissions in certain states not releasing fighter pay and everything else, they love to keep the media guessing so that they can just pretend that their talking points are the actual truth. It's a very interesting way to go about business. But here are the big takeaways that you need to know about. Good news for one. They had an increase in sponsorships by I think about 20 or 30% year over year. They had an increase in what they make for broadcast rights fees, not by a significant amount, but there was an increase. The problem was they experienced $48 million in losses in 2020. And ready for this? $111 million in losses in 2021. Their accumulative total losses are at 383, which means after this year, BC, it is a virtual certainty they will have accumulated over $400 million in losses. Now, I want to ask you what you think about this, obviously. Let me just add in one final note. A lot of people like this stuff because they're like, oh, get them. They say this stuff in public and they're clearly frauds about it. And yes, if you want to say that there's a gap between what... And by the way, these documents that were reported on by Bloody Elbow, they were signed by Chachri Sityatong himself. So he can say whatever he wants after this. His signature is on these documents. I worry, BC, because it looks to me now more than ever, the state of fight promotions outside of the UFC, they look very big and they have a lot of you know, visibility. Amazon, Bellator's on Showtime, PFL's on ESPN. You can list whoever you want. And obviously they're going to be in different stages of financial health. But I do worry that the, that the UFC has sucked up so much of the industry that outside players can't make a sustainable profit 
on a product that people care about. Am I overstating things? What's your reaction? I mean, that point specifically is the reality of when you have somebody who's so dominant and other, fo- other you know, entities are trying to not only carve out their own space, but in some degree compete, which is, you know, sometimes why the knee-jerk reaction is, well, why can't they all just join forces? Well, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of different business plans and all that. Specifically to this, and, and to your point about Chatri, he has gone public in the past and refuted all of this saying, did it come from the internet? Well, you can't believe it then. Well, to your point, Luke, he signed it. Um, you know, this this is <laughs> startling. I mean, luckily for Chatri, Luke, one championship apprentice edition was so was such a ratings bonanza. Didn't it set records for a most watched show of all time in the Far East, Luke? Or maybe I I'm mean, exaggerating. It, it, let me be honest, it didn't do a fucking thing. It, I an mean, exaggerated yeah, I mean, report. I was going to say, luckily, that was such a ratings bonanza that I'm sure it offset all the financial losses here. But, Luke, my joke sets up, where are they getting the money? How much more do they have left? How much can they keep hemorrhaging? Uh, You know, in some degree, you get it. It's all been a buildup to try to come at North, North America and the U.S., to invade, to get a legitimate U.S. TV deal that would pay for everything and to do what they haven't done yet because of the pandemic, which is launch a giant card on U.S. soil that grabs your attention. They're like almost there. But to see this heavy of losses, um, Luke, is like, who, who's, whose war chest are they expiring slowly? That's my question. Venture, venture capitalists. They're burning the, the, the money of venture capitalists. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And what they, the other part about the article is it notes that, that since 2017, Chatri Sityatong has been basically proclaiming that the company is about 12 months away from profitability. And they claimed that this year as well, that they would be, you know, they're very, very close to profitability and it doesn't ever appear to be true. Now, again, I want to be very clear about this. I like the one product. I don't like Chatri's clearly, you know, ridiculous statements. The whole thing that they do about honor and Bushido is just fucking jack off material. It's ridiculous. Would you call it Bullshido now, Luke? Is that what, yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. It's okay. just silly. But the product that they that the I as the consumer get by the time it gets to me, I really like it. I think it's I great. Agree. I just really wonder about their financial future. I really wonder how much longer they can keep this up. We shall see. Something to pay attention to. Now, BC. I flipped the next part of this one. We stay on topic four over to you. There's been some discussion about the one championship rule set. And I know that they sent you some stuff about how that works. What can you tell us? Yeah. So rightfully, I think on Monday show recapping what was an incredible trilogy matchup for the one uh, female straw weight title between um, Jing Nan Jiang and, uh, and Angela Lee, you know, I had the question of, okay, we know they're doing the old pride thing and, and scoring the fight as a whole rather than the 10 point must system. But what are the judges looking for? Is it who had the majority of success or was it essentially in a poor man's way of saying who had the biggest moment? And I think if you're arguing for Zhang to have won this fight, you're you're kind of leaning pretty heavily on the biggest moment, which was the second half of the first round when she scored a pair of knockdowns. Uh, one reached out to us, Luke, and sent us copies of the scorecards turned in by the judges, which has a 
a breakdown in there if we've got the art to to pair with this of exactly how the judges look at each category of the criteria and i think even more importantly whether that fighter do we have it yes or no team you know we should have it you should have it here i did email it this morning just in case nobody had it they're pulling it up go ahead they're pulling it up so not only are the judges looking at five categories, I believe, of criteria on how to score the fight as a whole, Luke, there's severities within that small, medium, large, whatever. What, what, I got to see it. What were the breakdowns again of, of dominant as opposed to, I don't know. If we could produce these pigs, I see the head. I'm crowning like the king of England here. I see here, the I've head. i got it Luke. here. I'm pulling it up on my... Uh... You know what it feels like? You ever you ever get on the internet in like 93 at your buddy's house and he's got that thing called Prodigy and you're like, yo, we could download pictures of topless women. We only have to wait seven hours for one picture to finish downloading. And then you're just like sitting there, Luke, for hours. And you're like, yo, I see a boob. And then your buddy's like, no, dude, that's a knee. That's so a here's, how, here's how that goes by, cri- this is, okay, so first of all, criteria by priority. One is near KO or submission. Two would be damage. Uh, three would have two parts striking on the ground, four takedowns, five aggression. And then to your point, they have degree of advantage. So for each of those, near KO submission, damage, striking, ground, takedowns, aggression, they have slight, moderate, and dominant, right? So each of those is did they have it? And then to what extent did they have it? And by the way, they can have it for the advantage red corner, advantage blue corner, or no advantage just even, which by the way, they had, let me go through this. So on near KO submission, they gave the advantage to the red corner, which was uh, Shang Jingnan. That's damage. one judge. You're reading one judge. Yes, I'm looking at one of the judge's scorecards here. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, damage also to the red corner. Striking, they gave to the red corner. Ground to the blue corner. That makes sense, obviously, because Angelie is much better there. Takedowns to the red corner, because remember, in one Takedown defense actually counts in favor of you, whereas in the 10-point must system, any form of defense is its own reward, including takedown defense. And then aggression, one judge had it even. And they, of course, then gave the fight to Shang Jinnan. So there is a process in place, and there is, um, I would call it, some kind of you know methodology here to uh, ascertain who the winner is. BC, knowing this now, having looked at it, do you feel more comfortable that this is a workable system? I don't know. And I just wanted to hedge the one point you said about the 10-9 must system that the UFC, for example, uses. While you're right in saying, you know, defense is your own reward, you're also wrong based on the judge's reading of the criteria. Again, the key word in the rules is not damage, it's impact. impact. And it directly states that if you okay, have well, the type of success- damage, like literally on this document, it's damage. Right. But like if you are able to change someone's game plan, meaning... You could change that through takedown defense, changing someone's game plan so significantly or frustrating them, that could be enough impact to win the round. That point aside, um, I'd love to be able to look at these scorecards, Luke. I mean, <laughs> is the nude woman fully? I mean, can we, I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think we, they're on TikTok. Can we have an intervention? Do, can we have a, uh, an intervention here? I mean, can, can I are see you, the? Yeah, yes or no. Are you guys going to get it or how's this going to go? I mean, what, I mean, guys, what are we doing here? You know? They're oh, uploading yeah. it now. Oh, They're uploading great. it now. Uh, let right. me look at some of the other scorecards. Just start looking across here. So here's another judge. They also had it for Zhang Jinan, but they had her having the advantage in near KO submission, which obviously she dropped her in the first, for example. 
uh, damage. The striking advantage went to Angela Lee. Ground uh, and then takedowns were even. Aggression went to Angela Lee. So here we oh, go. Oh, yeah. This, Look at this. This is so okay. So let's let's recap here. This is just one judge's scorecard, but this is how you should look at it. In the left hand column, you can see it there. Near KO submission is one. Can you blow it up full screen for us in case someone's watching on their phone? Thank you, Gaff. Gaff, 444. There we go. Two would be damage. Again, we're reading the left side criteria by priority column. Three, who did better in striking, who did better on the ground. Four takedowns, five aggression. The Who they gave the advantage to within that criteria by priority. And then the degree to which they attained that advantage all the way through. I got to say, people like the 10-point must system. I don't. I don't really like it. I, I don't think this system is above criticism. I think they've got aggression a little bit too low, quite candidly, and I don't know that they fully fleshed out point number three all that well. But as a general rule, I I like one system better than I like the ten point system. I do. I so you asked me before, like how how does this change my feeling about it? I like this transparency. I like seeing exactly what the judges are going after. Now, I don't necessarily agree. I guess my only issue is like I still think there's a good argument for Lee here, and I don't think you know the judges necessarily scored. Some as high the impact Zhang had early on with dropping her and in, in, in scarring up her, you know, or swelling up her face that they even could have. I mean, you see moderate. Uh, it looked pretty dominant to me. But my whole point is this gives more. This seems to be the nuances. This seems to present the foundation for you to properly weigh the nuances of it in ways the 10-9 system that we normally see cannot and is flawed is basically a boxing scoring system just adapted to mixed martial arts not taking into account the longer rounds the more skill sets needed the the different elements of defense that have big moments the you know ring ring generalship that we talk about a lot in terms of who's one fighter making the other fight his fight i think you could mess with that on this card and kind of value it to a certain degree and now what do they do at the end though luke like when you look at this how do you know that the red corner won because they because they they received the nod in more categories because you do have to take into account that far right column it's interesting i hope they know what they're doing with it i think long term i would like this type of direct criteria better than the 10-9 but i'm not sure i'm sold that scoring the fight as a whole is actually better than scoring it round by round how do you feel on that debate i would i would argue that the 10 point must system which you're right is it comes from boxing I would argue that the stakeholders in MMA have done a pretty good job, as best one could, retrofitting that for MMA. But I still feel like an organic way of judging MMA and what kind of systems you could put in place, what kind of procedure you could put in place, will ultimately benefit MMA more than anything you could retrofit from boxing. So I'm, I'm mostly in agreement with you. I still have plenty of questions on this as well. And how could you Leave it up for just a little bit longer if you don't mind, because I want to reference something if I may. Um, Gaff, uh, I, I still have some questions about this, but I, I do believe that in the end, this following this process down the rabbit hole will yield you better results over time. I mean, it just makes a lot more sense. Here's what we're looking for. Here's who had the advantage. Here's the extent to which they obtained that advantage. Yeah. Let's judge the entire thing as a one product, not, no pun intended, and then let's make a determination therein. Let's get qualified people to make those judgments. Right, plenty of questions. I just feel like this is a this is a cleaner process to me than arithmetically each fight each round is essentially its own fight. 
Okay. I don't think that's, that's a better way to do it. This is a, a giant step forward, in my opinion, in uh, like showing the truth. Like basically, when the judges come out of here with a with a scorecard that we deem awful, we're always you know critically jumping on them and their integrity and saying, "What the hell did they see?" I think this takes us closer to a world of understanding better what the hell they Agreed. did see. That Agreed. not only fighters can use because look, what do key, what do top level major league baseball hitters that are competing for bat batting titles know? Everything they know, pitchers' tendencies, they know umpire tendencies, they know who calls the close strike, who's a little bit more liberal. They know everything. This does give more information in the hands of fighters who can look back if they're so inclined historically and gauge a judge's strike zone or tendencies. That's a, that's a plus. That's a step forward because Luke. To to greatly fight the appearance of of fraud or or things being fixed in combat sports, I've always gone to bat and said, why are the referees and judges not required, if needed, to enter some like a press conference after and talk? I know sometimes referees like in boxing will be will agree to be interviewed afterwards, but for the most part, the commission that assigns these jobs doesn't want a circus, tells their judges, you know, don't do media appearances where you're previewing fights and sort of showing any potential, you know, favoritism that isn't there just to avoid controversy. I think being completely, you know, see-through is is the the way to fix this. I mean, look, it's already a really hard jo job to be a judge. No one's saying it's not, Luke. But I think it would weed out who's who's good and who's bad or who's, you know, not not up to the task or who might even be taking the heavy envelope loaded in their back pocket if they were forced to speak about it. If that's not going to be a reality and it doesn't seem like anyone actually cares enough to make it a reality to be, that's my two cents. This is a great step forward and at least giving you more information. I don't, you know, I don't think open scoring is the fix. I think it plays with the entertainment value in a way that if I'm proven wrong someday in the long run, I'll take the L right now. The fan of me still does not want to open the Pandora's box of open scoring, but this is, this is better. This is better. And look, you can actually kind of apply this. Even if you stuck with the 10-9, is, is there ways that, that like this would give us better explanations of what the person scored if boxing was willing see, to but see, Okay, to but here's this? the thing about that. Well, no, not necessarily. Cause, and again, I, I still would have some questions about this. I don't know if they look at everything in totality. But remember the criteria of the 10-point must system. If someone has, let's say, effective striking on the feet, you just stop there. You don't worry about ring generalship. You don't worry about aggression. You don't worry about anything else that comes after the hierarchy in the in the the priority list there. So if that, so if someone just you know jabs someone else's face off for three rounds, stuffs the takedowns or whatever, it's you don't need any of these other considerations or the advantage or the degree to which they retain an advantage. It's that's the ten point must system doesn't allow you to even look at those things if someone has that advantage early on in the key priority list. This gives you just a much more comprehensive look at everything that was involved. And you're right. This is not a substitute for a judge doing an interview that you could really, you know, really pick their brain. But here you at least have some read on the decision-making process that each judge took to arrive at that position. By definition, to me, this seems like it's more, well, one's got transparency issues, but when you have access to the cards, Certainly, it's more transparent, and it's you can just read into the decision-making process. I got to say, I like that a lot more, a lot more. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Hey, Luke, quick, Be real quick breaking news I wanted to share with you. Um, Please, the WBC good. has created a special Elizabethan belt that will be awarded to the winner of the October 15th Claressa Shield Savannah Marshall Undisputed Fight uh, That's that will honor 
the late QE2 who forced the fight to be postponed. Look, if anybody's on top of shit, it's WBC, right? I mean, that is a that's a title worth fighting for right there. You know what? I, I couldn't believe it when we interviewed Rockman Jr. and he was like, I really want to win the Bridger weight belt. And I was like, do you? Yeah, that's that that was that was a red flag. Like, that's your goal? Okay, all right. Yeah, <laughs> Susie yeah. said that I was like in my head, I was like, word, that's the yeah, that's the peak. Okay. Uh BC, let's do some quick hitters. How about this one? I think this is I think this is good news. I would consider this good news. Aspen Ladd has signed with the PFL. Of course, she was released from UFC after her last weight cut fiasco when she was supposed to fight Sarah McMahon. And here's her statement, quote, I want to thank the PFL for giving me the opportunity to continue my career in the PFL smart cage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's got to be required, right? You sign that deal in blood, that computer will hold. You better you better fucking call the smart cage the rest of your life, right? I mean, that fucking that cage is just the smartest motherfucker on earth. I am excited about the PFL sports season format where you win in advance. But I mean, they just wrote this for her. But here's what she did say. I look forward to testing myself against the best women's featherweights in the world. BC, here is my question. Okay, 145 must be fine for her. I think it's a better weight class certainly than 135. And again, outside the UFC, she can get, she has an opportunity to get things right. But dude, if she's not fighting Kayla, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, I think the plan is for her to fight Kayla, but my my fear now because we're so close to 2023, it being October. And we know, Luke, that's the launch of the PFL pay-per-view era. The pay-per-view division, they call it, even though that makes no sense to call it a division. The whole idea was, Kayla, will give you a chance to win a million in year one if you resign with us. Well, she had no choice. They had the option, but you get the point. And, you know, year two, we'll get you that cyborg fight on pay-per-view. Luke, it doesn't look like we're getting the cyborg fight. I hope I'm wrong. Is... Aspen Ladd signing the replacement for the Cyborg fight on pay-per-view? Is that what the hell we're doing right here, Luke? I don't know. I really don't know. That pay-per-view, I mean, I feel bad for PFL because they're going to take a fucking bath on that. Card. I mean, I love the signing. Talent-wise, great yeah, signing. No, no, no there's question. nothing wrong with the signing. I think she'll be good for a 145 division. She might win the whole thing. I, there's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of, like, pay-per-view prospects, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Um that's going to be bad. All right, how about this one? Casey O'Neill, who trains at Extreme Couture, versus a Twitter troll. I saw this play out in real time. I don't know if we have any of the images or not. Did you see this at all, BC? I did. Uh, Eric Nixick's IG thing was like, Where, where's she at? You know, we're here. We're ready. Meet me in Temecula. Basically, the long story short is this. Some dude was like, oh, Casey, Neal, Casey O'Neill is terrible. And then they were like, yeah, come down and spar. And he was like, yeah, I'll fucking come down there. And they were like, oh, yeah, like that'd be great. And they had him ready. They were, all had to do was sign a waiver. Eric Nixick tweeted him, like, just all you got to do is you got to come down. This used to be more of a common thing where you get street toughs who would come on the gym and be like, hey, I'm going to you know, show these guys what happens. And then they get wildly fucked up and then don't come back. Um, nothing happened here. The guy didn't post. Although, apparently, Hunter Campbell had something to say about this. Quote, we've got Barstool Sports covering it. I've got Hunter Campbell from UFC texting me like, don't have unsanctioned fights, please. Yeah. I need you healthy. Everyone's taking it so seriously. It's pretty funny for me, though. I think people say it almost for attention. Uh, she's certainly right. Yes. Yeah. This I, seems I, like I always tell BC. I always tell folks if you want to see how tough you are, you can show up to your local MMA gym yes. and ask to spar. They 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 will oblige you. Trust me. 
This is different than that, though. This is like, I, 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 you look at the surface, it's a fighter going, I'm sick of these keyboard warriors. So why don't you come here and prove it? Oh, you didn't come here. You're, you know, you're a wimp like I thought. But we already know that, first of all. And second of all, Luke, that's like leftover from the bully beatdown era. I know like, you know, Deont Deontay Wilder did that with Charlie Zelenoff, the, the much maligned, uh, you know, but that got because look, that was getting really gross and dark. Zelenoff was doing was leaving ridiculously inappropriate messages talking about Wilder's daughter and being racist. You know, Wilder could have killed him with one punch. So I think for a fighter, Luke, you know, Hunter Campbell's not wrong in the idea that like we got to get past this idea because look, who who knows that the, a crazy person doesn't come in with a weapon or something? Like I I just feel like this is a thing that they're professionals. We know they're badasses. Like you don't have to win this battle. Just just log off of Twitter. Or, you know what I mean? Or log off of yeah. altogether, or or you know what I mean? Like I know it's not. Well, I mean, like... listen, dude. If you fist fight for a living, your risk assessment is gonna be off a little. Yeah. Right. That that's just a, that's a natural byproduct of the job that you do, uh, and it's very good if you have that kind of strange risk assessment for that job. In fact, if you don't have that kind of risk assessment, you cannot do that job very effectively. It's an occupational necessity. But then apply to the wider array of. Uh, things that can happen in life, I don't know that that kind of risk assessment is always going to be beneficial for you. So um, I think it you're is, right. It is wild that, you know, we're actually not that that far removed from Bully Beatdown on MTV being an actual show that, like, uh, you know, Andre Arlovsky would sign up, and if you had some dude who thought he was tougher than you at work, you know, Arlovsky would kick his ass for three rounds on TV. I mean, I can't, I can't even believe that happened, Luke, but, you know. Here we are, cage fighting reporters. Yeah. All right, BC. This one you must. This must have uh, brought tears to your eyes, warmed the cockles of your heart. How about Adrian Broner getting on Instagram and calling out Nate Diaz? I was like, what are you doing here, AB? <laughs> I mean, what? Are, I mean, we have a like, image of it. Let's show it. He photoshopped some like fight poster that would look what it would look like if Broner was in fact fighting Nate Diaz. Uh, do we have the poster? I believe that we do. There it is. There it is. BC, how interested in you are AB? Uh, how interested are you in AB versus ND? Here's the, the the deal. I can't act like I'm not interested. And because Adrian Broner's You're such career a pathetic piece of trash. It's has gone. Look, let's be honest about AB. Okay, I'm the la I'm one of the last people left defending the nine lives theory that that there's still time for this guy to what live up to the original hype and expectations. No, but have a you know a decent end to his career if he wanted to at the same time luke his second half of his career has been an absolute train wreck in many different categories and you know a day after he did this luke he posted a very honest long message on instagram talking about how hard the mental health battle he's going through right now really is and how he's trying he's trying to make a comeback but like so to act like this is a ridiculous idea or I'm not into it at all would be lying because Luke, AB's career has been so out of control of late, if you can even call it a career, with all the missteps outside of the ring, that physically, inevitably, he's going to end up where this. these may be the type of fights that do make the most sense. I mean, Luke, as much as you don't want to hear me go, hey, dude, imagine Broner versus Jake Paul. You actually could start imagining it, and I don't think you'd run out the back door, Luke. I think you'd go, well, if we got to do this, it'll be a fun build and, you know... I mean, it would work better if AB's fighting a, a you know, considerably bigger person like Jake to offset the fact that he is a real boxer and has very good real skills. But as much as this doesn't make any sense, Luke, it also kind of does at the same time. So Wait, 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 wait. Let me ask you a question here. 
let me see if, I, I, just to see where your head is at. Are you under the impression that I find this unlikely, but let's it is possible, so we have to take the possibility seriously anyway. Let's say Jake Paul stops Anderson Silva. I know that that is crazy talk. I know that that's crazy talk. But let's just say, right? If he does that, do you think that there's going to be an effort to book him against AB? Well, I don't think or otherwise? I'm not acting like that was on anyone's radar. I'm not acting like even this IG post is going to make it a higher priority necessarily. But what I'm saying is, Luke, let's look at Jake Paul as a whole right now. This Anderson Silva fight is going to be a legitimate test of where he's at in his boxing growth. I know one day he want, he's talked about wanting to fight for a real boxing world title. There's still a lot of skepticism that if he goes in there, even there was skepticism in the proposed Hasim Rockman Jr. fight, because even though Rockman's flawed, he's a six foot three southpaw heavyweight. He's a real fighter, son of a former champion. Do we really believe that Jake's endgame is going to be him going in with actual light heavyweights or cruiserweights in boxing that are 15 and 0, 20 and 0 in beating them? You know, we have our doubts for a reason here, Luke. Yeah, but within the no, but within the celebrity bubble, which he's done a great job being the face of, what's a more realistic way of fighting a quote unquote real boxer, but also having like doubt in the public of who's actually going to win or what's it going to look like? It's fighting a smaller one, Luke. You've got to give him the built-in advantage of some kind to offset the fact that he doesn't have real experience and he's basically a you know actor influencer turned fighter. Now, he's the best of that group so far, for the most part. We'll give him respect for what he's done. But this may be the best way to actually have those fights in the game. Look, we don't know what... One loss could could derail the Jake thing. He could just wake up the next day and go, yeah, I don't really want to do this anymore. We don't really know. He's done a great job of acting the part. But do I think, in terms of it happening and entertainment being something that we really want to see, I do think that the idea of like him fighting Broner at some catchweight is probably better than him fighting some cruiserweight or light heavyweight you never heard of who would probably beat him anyway, right? Uh, Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, All right, I don't know how much we want to do on the rest of these, given the time constraints. We can go through these pretty quickly. Uh, BC, level of interest in Drakkar Close taking on Mark O'Matson, set for UFC Vegas 63. Fun fight. Yeah, pretty high because it, it like it's Mark O'Matson is, is pushing 40, right? And he's yeah, shown us great some... Athlete, we, but yes. Some things we really like, some things that are going to be a problem in this full trans transition to a new sport. But this is that next step level up matchup that he's really going to have to prove it. So matchmaking wise, love it. Probably be a fun fight too. Yeah, I'm all in. Luke, give me this. Give me this. All right. All right. What about Tommy Fury fighting on the Mayweather undercard? Now, to be clear, he's fighting a dude by the name of Paul Bamba. This will be the co-main event to the Mayweather versus Deji lineup. I don't know who the fuck Deji is. Paul Bamba, by the way, is five and two with four KOs. Tommy Fury's still keeping the flame lit for a Jake Paul fight, isn't he? Well, yeah, maybe. No, I don't know. I mean, you could argue. You didn't that see he that never... video of them recently, like Facetiming each other. I have other? not. I have not. I, I yeah, they're could... still they're still chitter chatting over there. Look, Jake talks a lot that Tommy like never wanted it and fumbled it and kind of backed out. I mean, like I could almost believe that, right? So, like, I think Tommy just wants to fight and be a celebrity fighter. If it ends up being where he can cross paths, which I mean, this fight is still makeable down the line. Because we don't see either of them, you know, achieving some great advancement in pro boxing. But no, I'm not necessarily interested. And Luke, I, I don't know. Floyd's adding a lot more fights to his to his schedule lately. I, I mean, should we be concerned? I mean, there, there's even people on shows debating whether Floyd versus Jake is that. Like, I know I just talked up the idea of Jake and Broner, which is ridiculous. I know I'm already ridiculous. But Floyd versus Jake can't be a real thing, right? 
or can no. it? No. Well, I mean, he already fought his brother. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, because I Jake's better be. than his brother. Yeah, but small. Well, yeah, smaller though. He's not as big as Logan. Uh, I don't fucking know. I don't care. I don't want to see that fight. I don't want to see okay. that fight. Now I will cash a check to cover it and like a complete hypocrite, but. I don't want to see that fight. To be because fair, yeah. Tuki needs shoes, baby. And that's what we do in this life. We give her anything she needs, Luke. Okay. Maybe yes. even what she wants to. Uh, and then last but not least on the quick hitters of note to me, how about old Kevin Holland? I'm not coming back unless it's quote, super duper magical. And then the next fucking day he gets announced to be fighting wonder boy Thompson in the UFC Orlando main event. This will be December fucking third, right around the corner. BC. I got to say, if you're a fighter, why would you not tell the media you're retired? You get a week of free fucking media, and it's all yours, and then you could just go back on it, no questions asked. Yeah, it's like I don't want to celebrate this because, well, I like the fight, first of all. I do think it's the right fight to make in this I like the fight point. just fine, yeah. Uh, but, you know, this is this is then doubling down on all the shit Tommy, uh, I'm sorry, Tyson Fury has been doing publicly of late, all the bait and switching and shell games. And then, you know, this is straight out of the McGregor playbook, just the same. It, it I kind of try to reserve it for the rare McGregor-like personalities who can do it. And, you know, what else are you going to say about it? When he speaks, we listen and we write about it. I don't want to see this become a trickle-down theory, Luke, uh, at all. I mean, it, is there any chance that doing that helped his leverage or negotiating power to get this fight in the terms he wanted? I don't believe so, right? Uh, I'm not, I just think it was a bunch of nonsense. I'm not saying necessarily to get free media or to get a fight or something. Maybe, maybe there was something there like, oh, I'm done unless it's super good because I want a better fight. And here he got that. But the other part is, I mean, it was a note partly because the retirement talk, partly because he's young, but also because he's something of a growing fan favorite. Like he has built his status. Which is to say, he may have gotten this fight no matter what, especially after he did the UFC a solid and took that ass whipping against Hamzat Shemaev. They kind of owed him something a little bit more manageable. Here he gets a tough fight, but against an aging veteran in a main event slot who doesn't wrestle. You know, like that could have happened under any circumstance, at least in theory. Yeah. You know, so there's that. I'm not going to celebrate uh, this. Are you going to mention Bo Nickel? Because this guy wants Hamza really we have time. Bad. We don't have time to get to all this stuff. We don't. We have, we have to cut something else out if you want to keep it all going. Because I have to go get my daughter from school. So, okay. um, unless you really got a hard-on for it, we can, we can. I don't have a hard-on for it. I am surprised Bo is being this aggressive. Like, did you see these IG posts, Luke? That I mean, he's going yeah. after people. That, that like, are He did say initially he doesn't want to be on any place but a main card, but then realized there's a lot of ways in which the UFC could construct a car where he'd have to go in the prelims. Yes. That's what I would tell him. I'm like, listen, dude, I think, I think this guy will – he's going to do something special in the sport. Take your time, young fella. Yeah. Take your time. Yeah. Don't rush it. Take your time. You'll, everything will happen exactly as it needs to. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, look at us winning all these awards, Luke. You know, if you can go right. back and tell Vox, Luke, to just shut up, everything's going to be all right, all right? It's not I don't that think bad. they care about anything in my life one way or the other. All right, BC, I want to remind everyone, we all want to turn back the clock and relive those glory days. For me, I would love to wake up every morning with zero brain fog, a clear mind, and be as energized as I was when I was younger. But thanks to first person, I can take a more active role in my brain's overall health. First person, what the heck's that? I'll tell you, Luke, it's an innovative cognitive supplement system which uses the medicinal be- medicinal benefits to get this mushrooms to activate the full potential of human cognition and brain health. Luke, this is Rashad territory, but now it's for guys like us. Yeah, first person supplements made with functional mushrooms aimed to stimulate neurotransmitters that trigger activities like energy, mood, and sleep. 
And First Person uses 100% grain-free organic mushrooms, as well as a highly curated blend of nutraceuticals. I love that word. It's like Francisco. It's just, you know, it's like... Uh, I personally am looking forward to trying the Sunbeam supplement to help with motivation and focus. My goal is, of course, to be more productive and attentive throughout a long day. Yes, I I, I believe you. Uh, Start improving your brain health and cognition today with First Person. Here's the deal. Get 15% off your first order right now by going to this website, getfirstperson.com, and using our code COMBAT with a K. Again, that's G-E-T-F-I-R-S-T-P-E-R-S-O-N, getfirstperson.com. Code COMBAT with a K, as BC said, for 15% off your first order. Getfirstperson.com, code COMBAT. All right, BC, we do this on Wednesdays now. Not every Wednesday, but we're trying to get it a little more regular. A top five list, top five movies, top five strikers, top five, we might do BBLs at some point. One never knows. Wow. Today, though, today, though, we're not going to do that. We're going to do top five active, I believe, ground specialists. Now, BC had a bit of a revelation. I'm not going to air them out here completely. Well, to but air you it out, say Luke, something. And by the way, this is favorite. Our top five favorite. Favorite, yes. I want to be clear. Today. We are not, yes, in defense of BC here and myself and everybody, just for clarification purposes, these are just our favorite ones, not the best ones, just the ones that we like whatever reasons that we like them. Although, BC, do you want to tell the folks what you told me over text message last night that truly shocked is a strong word. It did I don't get how me. shocked you were. You were like, like I had exposed my, like, you know, like the end of Total Recall when the guy takes off his fake arm and he's part lizard. Would, no. You're like, you know what it was? It was like the like, scene in Total Recall where the woman had the third titty. That's yeah, really what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's something like that. Uh, the idea that BC, the boxing guy, tends to prefer MMA fights on the feet. Yeah, I think that's true at the end of the day. Luke, I respect and for the most part, understand what goes on on the ground. But when we're pitching fun ideas of top five, like our top five classic rock albums from the 70s list, Luke, or something fun like that, that's fun. Counting down my top 10 favorite ground fighters of today is, it's, you know, it's a, it's a Luke Thomas hard on, but I'll indulge you, it's Luke. Not, I'll be it's your not fluffer. a hard. Here's what I'll do. Right. Though. I will meet you halfway. I mean, I think that's a little bit of a cash opinion, if I can be candid with you. It's, but it's white fairness, belt shit, Luke, but I'm here for it. All right, bro. In this fairness, is what I like. Fairness, here's what I think we should do. And I think the MMA audience might appreciate this. We should do next our top five favorite. Again, not saying the best top five favorite boxers to watch. Because I do think that could be a little bit of a roadmap for people who want to know more about boxing, some guys yes. or ladies to check out. Okay, okay, we can all do right. that with you know UFC ladies too, Luke. It's called the 115 pound division. All right, that's but that's your Instagram feed. All right, go first. All right, Luke, who do I look for in a favorite ground fighter? Uh, somebody completely sublimely talented. And for my money, Luke, that's still Bellator's A.J. McKee at number five. Luke, the creativity is there. The aggression is there. But there is this calmness to his aggression. We know he's child phenom who grew up in this game around the gyms with his father. But you only have to look further than the than the Makia team that you so aptly named that he broke out against Darian Caldwell in the Grand Prix tournament, or even the fact that he took the great Patricio Pitbull's, you know, quote unquote finishing move, the guillotine, and used it against him in the first couple minutes of round one of their fight to to put him to sleep after hurting him with strikes. AJ McKee is long, he's quick and athletic, but he 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 knows this game, Luke. It's fun to watch in the moment how his mind works. He makes quick reactive decisions. And I think what we did see in the Spark, Spike Carlisle fight of late that was a plus for him, 
His aggression while on the ground has to be respected by his opponents. He's very violent with those lead elbows and forearms, and that only adds to the threat of him always looking for a submission. I don't know if people uh, applaud him enough, Luke, for how great he is on the ground, because he can do flashy, spinny shit just the same in the striking, but uh, he's nasty, and I like watching him. People forget, dude, he's got a ground game that is ferocious. You know, if I had to pick for me, like, my, I, I, he almost made the list. Goichi Yamauchi over in Bellator, because he's a little bit more of a direct ground specialist in that way. But I agree with you. The Makiatine's nice. He's had a lot of interesting submissions from his back at certain times, or already threatened him at certain times. I, I like what AJ McKee can do on the ground. For me, for number five, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here because he's just starting out in MMA. But because of who he is and what he represents inside the heavyweight division, my number five is going to be Bouchesha. His formal name is Marcus Almeida, but they call him Bouchesha, which if you don't know what that means, it means fat cheeks in Brazil. I guess he had fat cheeks when he was a kid. Uh, he is phenomenal. Let me be very clear about this. He's arguably the best ground fighter, at least I should say this. He's got the best jiu-jitsu probably in all of MMA. I don't think that's crazy to say. And in the heavyweight division, he is by far the best submission specialist. We will see what will happen with his development. But remember the category, it's top five. So what I've seen from him in one has been promising. I think he'll end up in the UFC before too long, to be quite honest with you. And as long as he can get the fight to the ground, which of course is a big if, he's going to terrorize that division because he's not just a great grappler. He's a phenomenal athlete as well. In fact, his jiu-jitsu was very much aided by his physical gifts and attributes. Bouchesha is very much someone who if he's not on your radar. He should be. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Bouchesha, Luke. You've, you know, he does, he is your type of flavor and everything I've seen from you has seemed to live up to that uh, billing in regard. You said Bouchesha means big cheeks, Luke? Fat cheeks, yeah. Fat cheeks. It, it was Freddie Mercury who once sang, Luke, that fat bottom girls make the rockin' world go round. So maybe uh, Bouchesha and you have, you know, more than one thing in common, Luke. Okay, number four. Sorry. Okay, number four, Luke. Uh, I don't know if this surprises you, but you know who I love watching on the ground? Journeyman flyweight Tim Elliott. Now, Journeyman may be a, a harsh label, but he has seemed to juggle wins and losses at an equal level of late. Did fight for a world title once after winning the Ultimate Fighter tournament to get that shot at Demetrius Johnson. And I really think even within that fight, it's a snapshot of what makes him so fun in general as a fighter he takes big chances and he's long and he's got a weird sort of rhythm and style to him that certainly makes it tough but he's just as apt to get a fantastic dramatic submission as he is to yield one and luke he takes big chances he goes after it he's creative and i think watching his fights there's always that added level of of like something's gonna happen here soon I always loved the, the performance he showed out against Demetrius. Yeah, eventually he got handled and dominated, but he was weird enough in that fight to, to kind of give Mighty Mouse something to think about. And I think that plays into what I like about him, that it's kind of unpredictable. Yeah, the technique's there. Yeah, he can tap you out. But I just like the balls that he sort of goes after it, no matter if the odds are with him or against him. I can get by on that. For me, for number four, I'm going to go, again, there's a lot of people I had to leave off this list, which I was not happy about. But I couldn't make this list for me without including this guy, Bryce Mitchell. Number four, Thug Nasty. You got to do it. Now, listen, me and old Bryce Mitchell, we don't see the world the same way, but who gives a flying fuck? We're talking about his ground game here. And if it doesn't bring you joy to watch this dude operate on the ground, I don't know what you're, I don't know what would, man. We're talking about a guy who, against Andre Feely, for example, I didn't know what kind of 
you know, work he was going to be able to turn in, and he looked phenomenal. He's very good about making his opponents just make a series of bad choices. He gives you one bad option or another bad option, and, and then depending on what you want to go with, he has an answer for everything. He wrestles top to bottom. He can, you know, leg lace. He can do all kinds of stuff. He's good with his ground and pound. He's good with finding submissions, hitting a twister. So he's innovative. He's aggressive. He incorporates physical punishment through it, and he beats other really good fighters with it. Plus, you know, he's got a really sort of fun story as a life story and a very unique, I think, personality and background, which a lot of people like and respond to, which is also great. And, and the small part of that, of course, one in the camo shorts. That's a little detail, but I think it speaks to something larger about his authenticity. Anyway, on the ground, can't miss exciting fighter. My number four choice, Thug Nasty. And choose scoopfuls of coffee grounds in the morning, Luke, on his farm there. I've seen, I do, again, I, we learned that in the military. Like, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. All right, number three for me, Luke, is... Uh, so, wild... so this guy almost made my list. I'm so glad you included him because I love this choice. Yeah, wild man of sorts, and that's Scotland's Paul Craig. Luke, he operates in a division that you don't see as much ground game or submission specialist 205 as you do in the lower weight classes, but he walks around that division like he's either got a big dong or he's got a pile of money behind him that he can show off with knowing it can bail him out. And that superpower is his submission ability. It's like Luke, that privileged kid he went to high school with whose dad was the police commissioner and he always knew that he could talk trash to guys way tougher than him because he had that thing in the back that can get him out of trouble. He's like that in the striking exchanges he gets into, often ill-advised against people that he shouldn't. Obviously, the entertainment theme of late with him has been that fact that he could take big damage early but still linger and trap you on the ground because of how wide his uh you know the ability gap is but he's a fun exciting fighter who's never out of it and never stops looking for ways to dramatically surprise you and come away with a win that's fun to watch and when you sell it with the attitude the nickname the accent the painted face at the weigh-ins he's one of the rare ground specialists who's also a pretty cool dude luke I love his game. Very unique for the for that that weight class in which he operates. Love that choice. Really debated putting him on here, but had to go with some different ones. All right, for me, for number three, he's much more than this now, but I think if you looked at the overall body of work that he has, I think this would be a fair label. How about Charles Oliveira? I mean, he is just so much fun to watch. He's got all the submissions. By the way, the all-time leader in submissions for the UFC. I mean, what else do you need to say beyond that? But now what I love about his game is all the other parts have come to life, but it's not just that. I want to point out he's able to achieve dominant positions in a much more unique and interesting way, which is that he forces these big reactions from physical punishment oftentimes on the feet. What do I mean? He drops Justin Gaethje. Gaethje goes to scramble, and as he does, he leaves, at least in jujitsu terms, monster openings for someone to do something, in this case for Charles Oliveira, take the back, and so he can just instantly find very dangerous, desperate positions for his opponents anyway, like that. Everything is coming together, but the ground is still so terrifying for everyone because of how fast he can work, how nimble he can work, and how all the other pieces of the game now fit into it. But even before that, was doing really, really tremendous things in the 145 division and now obviously at 155. For me, I couldn't have made this list, talking about favorite ground specialists, without someplace for what I think is the uncrowned lightweight king. Yeah, he's the all-time greatest finisher. When he sees the opening, he goes from zero to 60 on like a Habib speed level, Luke, of just like, oh shit, the fight's over. We're here. Yes. We're now, there's the tap. Um, 
you, you can't not love to watch him because of that, Luke. And the swagger that he's gained from rounding out his game and not having to just lean on what he can do on the ground with the the you know the silver hair dyed. Uh, he he's a bat. He's an absolute bat. Luke, is he in the conversation for for having because of so many finishes the the greatest jujutsu in history, or or is he not considered on the Maya Jacare level? He's definitely not on the Maya Jacare level, but their accomplishments came from outside of jiu-jitsu. Like in MMA, obviously, he did what they couldn't in capturing a UFC belt. But if we're talking about strict jiu-jitsu prowess, he's not even close to them. Not even close. Okay. He knows how to get the the fight over, though, Luke. That's for sure. He certainly, he certainly fucking does. Go ahead. All right. Let's go to number two on my list of five favorite ground specialists to watch. And it's a, the only crossover one we had. Let's shout out Bryce Mitchell. Luke, he has a gas tank on him. And it is fun, whether we're talking about Darab, Mavalish, Wheelie, or, or guys like that who can Durab. weaponize... Marab, Darab, you're, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Marab, Devalish, Wheelie, correct? I might have just nailed that, Luke. Um, the point here is when you can weaponize that gas tank and pair it with the threat of what you can do on the ground, Bryce Mitchell's, you know, chain wrestling and way he just sticks to you is so fun to watch mixed with the constant pressure he puts on you. I don't think you can have a list right now, you know. I mean, Luke, uh, you, you gotta you gotta tip your cap. If this isn't the list of the best, you know, the, Islam Mahachev may be the damn best for all I know, Luke, at the end of the day, on the ground. But Bryce Mitchell is entertaining as well in doing it and in leaning on that strength. I'm interested to see how far he can go, Luke. This is a good division. This is a very good fighter. Um, get, get fired up here. I don't think you could make a list without having Bryce Mitchell on it. I'm glad you had him. Had him a little bit higher than me, but had him just the same. For my number two... This is someone who, um, you know, has proven me wrong at times, and then through that really forced me to reconsider what I got wrong. So I'm going to go with Aljamain Sterling as my number two. I think the work that he has done, obviously choking out Corey Sandhagen immediately, he's got good wrestling, and the way in which he's able to find and hold and legitimately threaten from the back is very, very impressive. He is a good, like a solid, solid, more than that, he's a just a phenomenal ground operator. He's obviously more than that. He can stick and move on the feet, has great cardio, good strength for this. And he's really ironed out a lot of the problems. Like, for example, when he gassed against, um, who was Misha Tate's ex? Brian, what's his face? Um, uh, Caraway. Caraway. Yeah, I think it was Caraway. You know, he gassed in that fight, and I don't think that was his best showing. But then you watch him. I didn't think he was going to be able to get the job done against Jan in the second fight, and he did, and he did it very impressively in part because of the way in which he is able to create back exposure through half takedowns or Matt returns, and then really take advantage of that. He's innovative. He's at the front of the, of the pack, I think, in a lot of the ways with his grappling in MMA. And he's a championship-level fighter, quite literally. I, I had to give him respect for this one. I'm going to have him number two. Yeah, I mean, dude, he put Sanhagen in the spider web, you know? Leave a message, and I'll call you back. Luke, one other thing I wanted to add on your uh, Charles Oliveira. Dude, the wrestling and the smothering that he did to Gaethje in that... I'm sorry, yeah. they did to Dustin Poirier, excuse me. Poirier, they did to yeah. Dustin Poirier to just completely gas him and prepare him uh, for for finish. Fantastic. Just a fantastic stuff. This I, I can't agree more. He's got, he's got He's more than a ground specialist these days, but on the ground, he is certainly one. All right, who's my favorite guy to watch on the ground? I don't think this surprises you. T-City, baby. Brian Ortega. Luke, I think the fact that the, the thing that I love most about watching him is probably the thing that has prevented him from climbing the mountain, despite giving all against Max Holloway before he was stopped in that title fight and nearly, nearly putting the current champ and one of the greatest fighters of all time, Alexander Volkanovsky, into very peril situations. 
uh, at key moments in their title fight is he takes big risks. He swings massively big. Uh, some of the victories on that initial rise to his first title shot were three-round fights in which he got kind of handled for two and a half of it, yet could come out with a big triangle or what have you at the end. Uh, that makes him so dangerous and so fun. What it doesn't make him is a well-balanced, consistent force. He's inconsistent, but we know of what his actual ability is on the ground. And sometimes, yeah, he leans too much on his chin and his willingness to go to dark places if need be. But at any point, you have to watch out against him. Uh, you got to give him credit for what he did against Volkanovski. No, at the end of the day, that was not as competitive of a fight as some of the, you know, this might be our fight of the year, you know, hype may have, you know, rose that up. But he made Volkanovski have to show us how tough he really is. And he did that against one of the best, fight, maybe the best fighter today, one of the best fighters of all time. Uh, his superpower is so fun to watch. And by superpower, I mean his ability to one after another drag in, you know, very good looking celebrity names to be by his side. His jujitsu is also pretty badass too, Luke. The big weakness on my list is that Ortega is not on it. And I readily admit that I struggled because again, it's our favorite ones. We're talking about some of the best ones. I think you have to have them on the list. Um, and I do, it's funny. I do. I made a list of everyone I had. I had about 12 names and it was tough to eliminate some of them. Ortega was the one that was most difficult for me to eliminate. So he'd probably be number six for me. Number one is maybe a bit surprising because there are a lot of ground specialists that I enjoy watching. But I like this guy the most because of the promise of his future and the reality of his presence. 17 fights, 17 wins, 17 finishes. Some of them, by the way, not necessarily by the ground, but when he's on the ground, his ability to get there and his ability to do damage on top and his ability to cleverly find submissions with the right time, seemingly without really breaking a sweat. I'm just so excited for this guy's future. Shavkat Rachmanov would be my favorite one to watch. Now, there are other ground specialists that I like. I would consider Armin Saryukian one, but because there's real no submission threat there, I didn't really include him. I wanted someone that had a submission threat. Sean Brady also is another guy who I think has a very bright future. Might have to get a tattoo with him if he beats Bilal Muhammad. But because of the rare combination of body type that Rachmanov has, Great, like lights out submissions, lights out striking, that bizarre kind of standing over you ground and pound that he does better than almost anyone. He's so unique. To me, when he fights out there, I got to clear the calendar to see what's up. My number one choice, not saying it's the best, that's not my argument, but favorite for me, Shafkat Rachmanov. That's where I'm going to go. Hey, that wasn't as painful after all, Luke, you know? See? That's not bad. And we can do yeah. boxing next time. Oh, oh, did you consider go. Yaroslav Amosov, or does he not as much of a submission game to be as well-rounded? Yeah, he'd be. Dude, there's a lot of guys who would be very, very high-level ground operators, but I wanted someone with a little bit more yeah. clear submission prowess in that way. Hey, real quick, now, how how great dude, is if you want to do these fan subs? We got to move. Yeah, we're going to get out on time. You've been judicious on this minute control, but Usman Nurmagomedov in your conversation, your your consideration he was on the list. He was on the okay. list. Goichi Yamauchi from Bellator also on my list. I just couldn't right. quite find a place for him in the top five. Let's close strong and get out on time with fan submissions. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the email address. It's your absolute bullshit, and then we post it up on our refrigerator. Let's do it. Yes, this you is the mail. house refrigerator for the artwork of our three-year-old. We've got mail submissioners. Yeah. 
Uh, let's go with Saul. Remember, I m thought he was, uh, you know, little Tony in the Imperials that time, Luke. But Saul is a great presenter here. And when the universe gives you free weekend passes to the Louder Than Life Music Festival, you take them without asking questions, Saul said. I went all four days and saw Tenacious D, Lamb of God, Slipknot, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie, Kiss, Body Count, Papa Roach, Incubus, Alice in Chains and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, just to name a few. I think you named them all. Wow. All while wearing oh, the best merch you could get from the best damn combat sports pod in the world. Plenty of thick girls in fishnets and thongs everywhere. Great weekend. It's Saul. Yo, Luke, this guy's a real man. Look at him. Look at this. Look at him, right? Yeah. Also, could you leave some weed for the rest of us? Jesus Christ, <laughs> this guy had all the weed. Yo, Kiss is lame, bro. Yeah, Kiss sucks. Can I be honest about that? If you like Kiss, you're probably lame as fuck. I want to be. Oh wow, wow! But Saul, thank you for being a real man. Okay. No, no, I didn't say about Saul. Maybe he liked it. Maybe he didn't. But in general. You know. All right. This is from Mark. He said, "Made a journey to Burning Man this year and took the MK mug with me." You'd think there weren't a lot of fight wow. fans out here, but you'd be wrong. Thunderdome is a Mad Max style fighting dome at the festival where participants battle each other while flinging themselves in elastic harnesses armed with battle Q-tips. Okay. Two burners enter, one burner leaves. And yes, a lot of Delta 8 gummies and other goodies. Thanks for the show. It's Mark. Hey, I, I support this, Luke. I wouldn't go to Burning Man, but I support this. Yeah, I wouldn't go to Burning Man either, but I had an old producer who went who was relatively normal, and he loved it. So keep that in mind. I mean, what? how, how do you describe... I mean, is it like a music and life and arts festival for those dudes in your school who were like really good at shop class and you could like you you could say to yourself they might kill a person before they die i mean people make it out to be i think more than it actually is it's just a place to do drugs differently i mean okay okay with different music and yeah i got it i got it you know all what right, i'm let's saying to... it's oh we're in the desert doing drugs okay all right uh luke steve is here and he says he's found your new truck <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's I think awesome. That, Maybe I don't get the yin and the yang, though. I don't quite understand what that's got to do with vaping dads or Christ. But uh, what do you got to do? That sounds like if, if you, me, and Brendan Schaub decided to start, to form a power trio, Luke, that would be our band name right there. Okay. It's got the three C's. It's got the three yeah. C's like Brendan does. Yeah, it does. It, indeed. It's Luke, a lot I, of C's. I think you should I'll be your Huckleby in that band. Believe me. No no question about it. Let's go to Alan W. He says, uh, last Wednesday's top five movies uh, reminded me of, of uh, I don't know what here. I'm a day one MK fan and got inspired <laughs> to make art based on both of your personalities and antics. Big, Tru yeah. Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite movies. I'm responsible for creating the original Egg Campbell's punchki logo here's more big trouble and little china subs coming your way this is amazing and i love that you look like kim cattrall yes yes from mannequin right great movie where the guy bangs the wooden lady yes also from uh yeah i know it's like dude the 80s were just complete you know yeah i mean just the just the worst human beings alive making movies there he is yeah. egg shen <laughs> look at me holding a punchki oh i love it luke i love Dude, that, that is amazing if you guys don't know there's a, a character in big trouble in little channel named egg shen who kind of has one eye and bc whenever he eats he just closes one eye it's the weirdest well, shit so i, I have a tick in my one of my eyes luke that when i eat it it opens and closes as i eat and it moves yeah it's uh I think, yeah, it could be a defect, Luke, okay? No, no disassemble, yes, okay. Let's go to JP, Luke. You know this guy from Mount Unike, Nova Scotia. He's done the cleanup 
post-storm. Good day, MK crew and fans. I had to sneak another sub in here after watching the latest Room Service Diaries, Chuck Mindenhall edition. I was so excited for the gents when they indirectly introduced their first RSD sponsor. BC has done it again with his introduction of Room Service Diaries, BC's Depends. Love you guys. Keep up the amazing award-winning show. Yes, the fact that you had to go in the middle of it. (laughs) I like your diaper, by the way. And you had to go in the middle of it to go urinate. You truly are, you know. Do you do that on Showbox or just MK? I almost did it on Showbox once between fights. So look, I, I because I'm so aggressive. I mean, I hold this microphone like a grudge, right? So because I'm so aggressive, I need a lot of fluids to fuel that. But then I get, I got to, you know, piss. They used to call me in the in the high school woods drinking circles, like behind trees. They would call me uterus boy, Luke. That's so disrespectful because I would be the first I, in one. In my fraternity, now I managed to skip this because that weekend, I probably would have told them to go fuck themselves, but that weekend I had a uh, drill, which is when, you know essentially when you have to go work for your military service, and they made all the pledges in my pledge class where it depends and then piss themselves. Okay, I'm that, 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 point number one, why fraternities are lame cults and you never yeah. should have joined. You don't yeah, need I them mean, that, that, to I, identify I agree that who that you is, are. I agree that that is pathetic. I, I'm all glad right. I missed that. Anyway, let's roll out of here. Alan has two of them. I made an RSD thumbnail for you. Let's see it. Oh, I love <laughs> is that, this. Is that me as The Rock? But if I'm The yes. Rock, then who are you? I think I'm the guy from uh, Big Lebowski, right? Or am I wrong? No, there? no right. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, but, I may have just butchered that, but that's fantastic. I love that. that dude, if, if that, by the if way, we you're could... wearing, I like, I like your man bag. You talk a lot of shit about man bags. It looks good on you there. Dude, seriously, if RJ made a t-shirt out of this design from Alan W., I would personally buy it. I love it. That looks great, right? 40s washed, unadulterated stupidity. That really is the best way to describe this show. Yeah, I would buy that shirt. I hope you would, too. Uh, Finally, Mustache Dad is going to close us out. MK Universe as a black metal band, he says. And look at the Morning Combat logo. See, here's the problem with the logo. It's actually too legible. If you're a real death metal band, it shouldn't even be readable. Also, also, I fucking hate this kind of metal. I hate it. Do you see the comment out of my mouth there, Luke? Black metal liver. (laughs) Yeah, black metal liver. Am I right? Yeah, that's great. Oh, boy. All right, Luke, you got to go pick up the toques, all right? Let's get this. That's right. I got to go pick up my daughter. Uh, Let's remind everyone, Showtime is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. And now, for the subsequent three months, $3.99 a month for three months following that. Pretty great deal if you want to go give that a try. Showtime.com. Morningcombat.store for BC's hat for this wonderful polo that I'm wearing and lots of other great stuff. You saw the email address there, morningcombat at gmail.com dot com for friday's dead wrong of which i'm hoping be or, uh, i should say i'm hoping mikey curates a little more thoroughly this next upcoming week and uh bc any final thoughts uh no but thank you yeah i do thank you to you the viewer the listener we won that award again the people's choice podcast award best sports podcast we don't we don't get there without you guys. i mean you guys are like it's like you know luke it's it's kind of like we're made men now these guys will they'll go do our bidding for us you know what i mean they will. We have a very reliable and enthusiastic audience for which we should never take for granted for one second. So thank you for, for all of the votes. We appreciate it. 
And uh, you don't don't forget, Friday we'll have a show, a regular MK. Saturday, me and BC back in the bomb shelter, 7.30 p.m. on the Showtime YouTube channel, getting you ready. Uh, we'll be covering the prelims off starting at 7.30 p.m. in the East for the Showtime Championship Boxing that I think takes place at 9 or 10 thereafter. I have to get that right, but you get the idea. All right, for uh, CBS Sports, Showtime, Malka, the King of Connecticut, Brian Campbell himself, I'm Luke Thomas. We'll talk to you guys on Friday, and until then, May all of your gains be loyal.